0: We are just now getting to the very best part of the college ball season, so there's still plenty of time for you guys to jump in on the action. If you've kind of been going back and forth, should I do this, should I not? Absolutely, now is the time. You've seen all these teams, you know who's good, you know who's not, and now it's time to put that knowledge to use and sign up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. When you do so, you can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit, or you can use the promo code 200cash to get a 10% cash bonus added straight to your account with zero strings attached. Two great options. Make the best choice for yourself. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and I am back once again with our week 12 mailbag edition of the podcast. It's crazy to say that, guys. Every week, I know I keep saying, okay, week 10, week 11, now week 12. It's just crazy, man. Like, we wait all year for this. We long for it we pine for it, we go through the long off season. we go through that seasonal depression, which for most people is like when it gets cold, for me it's when there's no football, when there's no college basketball, my, my seasonal depression is basically the 1st of April after the college basketball national championship game through like the end of June, once we get into July and you can kind of see the football season on the horizon there, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, then I'm good because I know it's just around the corner, but man, April, May... Somewhat June, those are some tough months for me. So I know it's like we wait for it all year long and then it gets here and poof, it's gone before you even blink an eye. But things really are just getting good here. We're getting to the meat of the season and we have a ton of great questions today. In fact, we've got so many, I'm going to try my best to get through as many of these as I possibly can. If I don't get to your question, I am sincerely sorry. I only have so much time, and I try to go through as many of them as I possibly can. And of course, we always get some questions that overlap. Usually, when a fan, a fan base watches a game, there are a couple of themes that come out of that game, and we tend to get a lot of questions about those those top talking points. And when that's the case, I usually just go with the question. Or I try to. I always try to go with the first question that I see. I kind of go back and try to trace who sent in the question first and I, I kind of do it that way. So if I don't get to your question, I promise you I am not trying to play favorites. I'm not trying to ignore you. I'm doing the very best I can to get through as many of them as I can, and I know some questions have been really great. I've got a ton of really great questions that aren't necessarily super relevant to what's happening right now, like last week's game and moving ahead to the next week's game of the SEC Championship game. So if there have been some questions like that that have been sent in, I, I see them. I promise you. I see them. They're great questions. I'm just trying to hold those a little bit till we have some time where we're not breaking down a game during the season, so I've, I've got a whole list of those questions. I'm going to get to them eventually. I promise you, just just bear with me. Be patient with me, but anyway, we've got a ton of great questions today, and we're going to start at the top here. I've got two questions that I want to call co-questions of the day. These are our big picture questions that we always have to start with. And I think this first question is from, I don't know if it's a new listener, but a first-time question asker, if that's how you would term that. But EJ, I really appreciate it, man. I hope you've been around for a long time. If not, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here. But EJ says, earlier in the year, you said that Georgia was not the best team in the country. Yes, EJ, guilty as charged. Have you changed your opinion? That's a very fair question, EJ. And yes, I have. I've talked about this a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. I maybe haven't addressed it head on directly. So let's do that right now. I I own it. You're right, EJ. I did say... You're the first third of the season that we were not playing like the best team in the country. At that time, I think that's fair. If you look at how we played the first couple weeks of the year, guys, South Carolina is not a good football team. Now, they have certainly gotten worse as they've dealt with injuries as the season has progressed. But even when we played them in week three, that was not a particularly good football team. They were already dealing with some injuries that weekend. I mean, Juice Wells, he played from that game. He was the guy that scored the first touchdown against us, and he went out the rest of the game and he hasn't played since then. So they were dealing with some injuries at that point, and they they had the same offensive line, which is terrible. It was terrible. It is terrible. Spencer Rattler has been the same guy. He's been really good. Defense has had issues all year long. He did that week, and it still does now. But that's a game that we were down 14-3 at half. Now, if we played South Carolina this weekend in the same situation inside of Sanford Stadium, do I think that we're going to be down 14-3 at the half? Absolutely, unequivocally, hell no. We would do to them much what we did to, to Ole Miss on Saturday, probably even worse, because Ole Miss is clearly a better football team than South Carolina is, so I go back to it, I I will stand by that, the first four-ish weeks of the season, we were not the best team in the country, and what I said at the time was, I believe that we have the capability, I believe that we have the roster to develop into that team eventually down the road, especially once we get healthy, It was all about surviving and advancing. How many times did I say that on this podcast the first month, month and a half of the season? Survive and advance. We were not healthy. We were missing a lot of key players we're talking big-time contributors, but I knew eventually we would get healthy. We had a lot of young guys playing key roles at key positions for the first time really in their careers, and I knew eventually, while they might be inexperienced at the moment, they would get experienced, and they'd be playing at a much higher level as the season progressed. Talking about a guy like Ernest Green at left tackle, talking about a guy like Dalen Everett at cornerback, Guys like Ra-Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett, a receiver, coming over from other SEC programs where they were really successful, but very different offenses from what they were going to be asked to play here in Athens. So I knew that we had it in us. It was just a matter of can we get to that point where we develop and we get better without slipping up somewhere along the way? Because you know, as I said back then, a hallmark of Kirby Smart's teams are are that they always get better. The man is relentless. He does not rest. He is a master developer of talent. No matter what any rival fan base out there wants to want you to believe, what they want to say, Kirby Smart is not only a great recruiter. Kirby Smart is a master developer of talent, and the track record speaks for itself. It's indisputable, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there are some, uh, shall we say, I'll I, put this nicely, biased people out there that have confirmation bias and want to look for every example Kirby didn't really develop somebody because you can do that with any coach. I mean look at the list guys talk about guys like Eric Stokes Jordan Davis Lab McConkie Stetson Bennett Javon Bullard now think about all these underrated recruits that we have taken in that nobody I was really paying attention to during the recruiting process and they've turned into superstars not just good players superstars first round draft pick type guys in some cases within our program Kirby Smart is a master developer of talent so I knew that we were going to get better again it was all about surviving in advance for me get better keep working And along the way, don't screw up. Don't slip up against a team that you shouldn't slip up against. And we almost did. We almost did on the road against Auburn. South Carolina, that first half was a little shaky. We were fine in the second half, obviously. But there were moments like, what is happening right now? So we had those moments. And that's why I said at that time, we are not the best team in the country. We weren't. There were other teams that had more returning that had that built-in experience that didn't have to go through what we had to go through with the injuries and experience at key positions. Like Michigan, for example. They had so many guys coming back that they were kind of hitting on all cylinders for the most part from the jump because they had returned essentially their entire team. You're not worried about breaking a bunch of new starters and you're not worrying about how to deal with a ton of injuries to key players. But you know what we did, guys? We survived and we advanced, and here we are. This is exactly where I thought we would be, that we could be. Now, you don't ever know for sure, but I knew what we had on this roster. I believed in this talent. I believed in this coaching staff. And I also looked around the landscape of college football, and I said, you know what? We might not be as good as we were back in 2021. We're not as good as we were in 21. We might not even be as good as we were last year. And I think it's fair, to, I mean, it's fair to, to make the argument that maybe we aren't as good as we were last year. Probably we aren't, but it doesn't matter. We only have to be as good as everyone else this year. It's all relative to the context of this season. And I don't think that there is that overwhelmingly dominant team out there. And I would include us in that. I do think right now, yes, I would say that we are the best team in the country, especially when we play our A game. Now that's the issue right now. We don't always bring our A game. But when we have this year, Kentucky, Kentucky, Ole Miss last weekend, there is nobody in the United States of America that is going to beat us when we play our A game. That includes Alabama. That includes Michigan. That includes Ohio State. That includes Washington. That includes Oregon. That includes Florida State. I don't care who it is. There's not one team out there. When we play our best, when we play to what Kirby likes to say, our standard, there's not one team out there that's going to beat us. I truly do believe that. Now, again, the issue is can we play to that standard on a more consistent basis? Because that's the problem. We have not. Now, when we have big tests in front of us and we get challenged by a team and a team has our attention, we tend to bring out the, the vintage performances like we did against Kentucky. You know, where I was talking mad crap about how we couldn't stop the run after the Auburn game and how Kentucky ran all over Florida, 300 plus yards. And Ray Davis is the second coming of Herschel Walker. And so, yeah, that got our attention. And what happened? We outgained them by almost 500 yards in that game everyone talking about Ole Miss it's a really good football team and yours truly included I was telling you how good Ole Miss was and Ole Miss I'll stand by that. It's a good football team but when they have our attention primetime game college college game day in town you get what you got on Saturday you get an A game from Georgia and when that happens I don't care who you are you are not beating the Georgia Bulldogs I don't care who it is A game versus A game, Georgia versus anybody out there. We bring our A game, they bring their A game, we are winning that football game. Now, some games might be closer than others, the margins will be smaller, sure. And I do believe that. Again, I think the margins are smaller this year, but relative to the rest of the country when we play our best, I think that we are the best team in the country. It's just a matter of doing that. So yeah, I'm with you, EJ. At least I think that's what you're intimating there, that you think that we're the best team in the country, but you're right. You're right to call me out. I said earlier in the year that we weren't the best team in the country. I stand by that because I think that we weren't. I think we've grown and we've improved and we've developed, which is what I hope that we would do. I thought that we would do, and here we are. It has certainly played out that way. All right, question number two. This is very closely related to EJ's question. Comes from Mark, and I don't know for sure. If Mark is a first-time question asker, I think maybe Mark's been in a question to before. So if you have, I apologize, Mark. But if you haven't, if you are new, want to go ahead and say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for the question. And Mark asks, should Georgia jump Ohio State in the rankings on Tuesday night? Mark, great question. And I'm going to give you a very definitive answer. Absolutely. Let's think about this. What is really the only thing that Ohio State has had over us? during these first two CFP rankings releases. What has committee always said? What have they gone back to about Ohio State? The resume, their wins on the road at Notre Dame, even though it was a last second win, they really had no business winning it. Give them credit. They won the game. And then they beat Penn State at home. So give them credit. Those are two top 25 wins, at least according to the Cottrell Playoff rankings. And they were given credit accordingly for those wins. And we talked about it, after the first rankings release, I did that kind of emergency pod kind of reacting to those initial CFP rankings release and you know I came on here I said look guys I expected Ohio State to be one I told you guys the the night before on the mailbag episode two weeks ago that yeah my prediction was when I was asked my prediction was Ohio State would be one I thought Michigan would be two based on how they kind of dominated teams but I was glad the committee kind of looked beyond that and saw Michigan hadn't played a freaking soul no one with a pulse And we'd actually been more dominant against the opponents that we had played. And so we were number two, but I I thought Michigan would be two, I thought we'd be three, and I thought Florida State would be four. And I got the bookends right. And I told you on that reaction pod that I wasn't all that upset. Like, I wasn't freaking out because it doesn't matter right at that point, right? It's just a matter of, like, if we keep winning, we'll be fine. But I got why the committee had Ohio State number one, and I I really didn't have an issue with it because their resume was better at that point. Now, I knew what we had in front of us, and if we won those games— then I thought that we absolutely should move ahead of Ohio State. And that's exactly what has happened. I believe that we have been better than Ohio State all along. If you were basing those rankings off of who is a better team, we should have been number one. But it's always the classic question, right? Is it is it most deserving or is it best team? I think obviously it has to be a combination of both of those. I tend to lean more towards best team when all things are equal and both teams are undefeated. I say, okay, well, who if they face each other, who's going to win that game. Now, I know that's a very inexact science because there's a lot of opinion thrown in there that is extraordinarily subjective. So I, I understand the argument against that. And it's easier to quantify most deserving because you can look, okay, who have you played? What is their what is their overall record? Strength the schedule? All those things. You can quantify that. So people who do rankings tend to lean towards resume more than quote unquote best team. And I knew that, which is why I did not have an issue with Ohio State being ranked number one ahead of us those first two weeks. But now that we have won these last two games against a top 12 Missouri team, who I know after losing us, they dropped out of the top 12, but after they beat the crap out of Tennessee, they might be jumping up pretty close back up in there this week. We'll see. And number nine, Ole Miss. So two top 12 wins back-to-back weeks. If the only argument that Ohio State should be ahead of us was their resume, which it pretty much was. I mean, even when they struggled to beat... Rutgers last week, what did the committee say? They said, Well, Rutgers has a better defense, and people think that's a really good defense. So we're going to give them credit for that win and for that game, that performance, even though they got outgained by Rutgers. So it was all about resume. They had the wins, and we didn't have the wins yet. But now that we've got the wins, how can you possibly defend having Ohio State ahead of us at this point? I think it's indefensible. We have been the more dominant team against. I would say at the very least, an equal schedule. I would argue a more difficult schedule. So yeah, you have the win against Notre Dame on the road, and you have the win against Penn State, but how good is Penn State? I mean, Penn State's getting a lot of credit because they've lost to only to Ohio State and Michigan. But guys, the rest of the Big Ten is straight up garbage. It is trash. I'm not saying we don't have some garbage teams in the SEC. Yes, Vanderbilt is terrible. South Carolina is not good. I understand that. But the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten West, is utter Garbage. I mean, there there are two and a half good teams. There are Ohio State, Michigan, very, very good football teams. Penn State is a good team. They're just not an elite team. Everyone else is essentially garbage, as far as I'm concerned. They're not good football teams. Nobody outside of Ohio State or Michigan can score points in that league. You have a team in Iowa that is going to win the Big Ten West. They're going to win the Big Ten West, guys. And these are their point totals over the past five weeks 20 points against Purdue. 15 points against Wisconsin, 12 points, no, I'm sorry, that 10 points against Minnesota, 10 points against Northwestern, and they got the 10th point, those final three points, very last second to win that football game, and they scored. They outscored Rutgers 22-0. So really good defense, sure, maybe, or maybe just the rest of the Big Ten sucks, nobody can score, but that is the team that is going to face either Ohio State or Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. That is the Big Ten West champion. That is a garbage league. So yeah, I know they have two nice wins, but everyone else they played is just terrible. They're not good football teams. And you might say, well, Florida's not good. Um, okay, yeah, no, they're not very good, but I'll tell you right now, Florida beat Minnesota, Florida would beat Illinois, Florida beat Michigan State, Florida would beat Maryland, Florida would beat, beat, beat essentially everyone in the Big Ten, not named Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. I believe Auburn would be the vast majority of teams in the Big Ten, not named Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State. I would say the same thing about Kentucky. So no, I'm not saying those teams that we played are all great. No, they're not, but they're better than what Ohio State has played in their conference schedule outside of really just Penn State at this point. So yes, to summarize this, I would absolutely have Georgia ahead of Ohio State in these next rankings. I don't know if they will or not. I mean, when you beat a top 10 opponent 52 to 17, that has to mean something. Because now we have those two top 15 wins, which by the way, our two wins these last two weeks are better than the two wins that Ohio State has. And we won both of those games more convincingly than Ohio State won those games. So we'll see. Do I have faith in committee? No, I don't. But we'll see. I guess, again, all that really matters is if we keep winning, we'll be fine. But I think we deserve to be number one. You know what? Honestly, I do think it matters. Because if we're number one, let's say that we win in Knoxville, let's say we hold Circus, Georgia Tech, and we go into the SEC Championship game undefeated. Let's just say, for argument's sake, we end up losing a a close, hard-fought game against Alabama. If we're number one at that point, it's a lot harder to completely drop us out of the college playoff rankings than it is if we're number two it's just math guys I'm not saying they still won't drop us out they might but it'd be really hard much harder to drop the number one team completely out of the college playoffs going into that final championship weekend when you lose to another top 10 team in a close hard-fought battle in your your championship game than it would be the number two team so I do think it matters it's not the be-all end-all but I don't think it's completely inconsequential but all right, guys, let's go ahead and get to our first break of the day. Let me remind you about our great friends at MyBookie once again. Guys, MyBookie has so many great features for you guys. You want to take advantage of They have a new cash out early option, which I've been taking advantage of this season. It helped, it's helped me win a lot of cash. I know I've heard some, from some of you listeners out there. It's helped you guys out as well, especially if you're into parlays like I am. It's a huge, huge benefit for you when you're trying to win money that way, which I have made a pretty good living off of these past couple of years doing that. But they also have a ton of live betting options. So if you're not really sure who's going to win a game, you feel like it's a toss-up game, you want to get a feel for these teams as they kind of take the field, well, just watch the first quarter or so and put down the live bet once you see who's actually brought the goods that day. They have a ton of prize packages for you guys, prize pools you can get involved with. You can bet really long odds on the Super Bowl champions right now. So so many great features for you guys take advantage of my MyBookie. All you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag. They make it really simple for you guys. Use our promo code UGA. If you're signing up for a brand new account, you get a 50% bonus on whatever that first deposit is. So if you deposit $100 to give you an extra $50 to play with. But if you want to avoid the playthrough, which I get, you have another option to choose from. You can use the code 200cash if you're a new user to get a 10% cash bonus all the way up to $200 add it straight into your account. No free play, no strings attached. It's just theirs for you. Do what you want with it. Bet your initial deposit and boom, that money is yours to do whatever it is that you want to do with it, guys. So do yourself a solid and jump in on all the action today and bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's keep this train rolling. We got a lot of questions to get to, so I'm going to try to go a little faster today so I can get through as many of these questions as I can. Our next question comes from Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks for the question. I always appreciate you, buddy. Jonathan asks, I have a sneaking suspicion that Carson Beck comes back next year judging by his interview with Aaron Murray stating that he is not participating in senior night. So who comes back with him? Ra Ra and love it coming back? I feel more confident they will since nil will be good to them next season. I think this is a really good question. I wanted to. This is what I considered holding off until later in the season, like maybe once we get in December, uh, once we get past the SEC championship game. We got kind of say dead time. But we have a couple of weeks where we're not breaking down a game or recapping what just happened. So I, I thought about that, but. I actually got quite a few people asking me something very similar. So I figured, well, if a lot of people are asking about it, let's go ahead and talk about it now. So Jonathan, yeah, Carson Beck. Carson and I kind of touched on a little bit on our recap episode yesterday. But we'll talk about a little bit more here. I think there's a really good chance that Carson does come back and it's kind of what Curtis and I said. It's all about the quarterback draft class this year, but the thing is, you don't know what his priorities are. Is he one of those guys? I mean, Carson's been, this is his fourth year in the system, so I mean, the clock is ticking. Does he want to go ahead and just start making money and get out there, and if he gets drafted in the second round, that's fine. He'll go, go somewhere, prove himself, and earn a starting job. Maybe that's where his mind is right now. Now, if his goal is more so to get drafted high in the first round, as high as possible in the first round, so you get that first big contract, then I think it would behoove him to come back. Because I do truly believe that he would have a shot, a shot to be the number one quarterback in the country in that 2020, was it 2025 draft class, I guess is what it would be. Because, number one, he'll have the name recognition, which he people kind of knew vaguely of him coming this season. It's, oh, it's George's backup quarterback, and we're a high-profile team, went back-to-back national titles, so you hear the name Carson Beck. But people don't really know much about him. But after how he has performed this season, he absolutely is going to come into next season as one of the top signal callers in the country. Everyone in America is going to know who this guy is. He's going to be on all the preseason Heisman watch lists, all of those things. He'll get that kind of attention. And when he performs the way that I think he would perform, if he came back next year for a second year as a starter. I think he has a chance to go to New York, and he might have an outside shot to get an invite to New York this year, depending on how the rest of the regular season closes out. We'll see. Probably a long shot at this point, but I guess it's still still in the realm of possibility. But next year, if he comes back, absolutely. If he plays the way that he's played this year with the name recognition, he's going to be in New York, and I think he's going to do a really good job at the NFL Combine because I think he's got great arm talent. I think he's really active, and he does a lot of things really, really well from a technical standpoint as a quarterback. And I think he would put himself in the conversation to be the number one overall quarterback. And If you're the number one overall quarterback, you're going to be taken top three in the NFL draft. That's just a given. That's going to happen. Now, is he a guarantee to be the number one quarterback? No, there's no guarantee, but he has a far better shot if he comes back next year than he would this year. He's not going to be the number one quarterback this year. He's not going to be the number two. I think maybe three at very best. If we're talking Caleb Williams, talking Drake May, probably one, two in some order there. you got Michael Penix, you've got Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy, Jordan Travis, and I'm not saying that he can't rise above those guys in the pre-draft process. I believe a couple of them he can, but it's gonna be far more difficult for him to do that this season. It would be next year when the quarterback draft class, at least right now, does not project to be nearly as strong as this one is. So, if I'm Carson, look, I don't know his, I don't know what his goals are and where his mind is. It's an individual decision that everybody has to make. But personally, what I would do. If I was financially okay enough, which, he, guys, he's making nil pretty good NIL money right now. If he came back next year, he'd make an NIL bag again. He'd be okay. It's not NFL money. It's still very good money. He's not going to be struggling for cash. So i come back. That's me personally. But I don't know what Carson's priorities are, and that remains to be seen. I do think, like you said yesterday, that... Him not walking on senior day is certainly a positive sign in that direction. Doesn't necessarily mean he's definitely coming back because he can change his mind. You can walk on senior day inside you're coming back. Xavier trusted that last year. So it doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't read that as the be all end all. But I do think like it, it's certainly a positive sign that he is at least considering, strongly considering coming back. And he hasn't completely made up his mind and said, yeah, I'm definitely going pro. I'm not coming back. So that remains to be seen. The other guys at receiver that you mentioned, yeah, I, I've been thinking for a while. Guys, this has been on my mind for a while. Because I've been thinking, okay, man, th- th- this year, like, we got to win this year because we're going to lose all these guys. So I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Are we though? Yes. Rah-rah, Dominic Lovett. I do expect both those guys to be back next year. Another guy I've been thinking about is Marcus Resume Jackson? I know he was out there walking and he technically is a senior, but he was a COVID guy. So 2020 was his first year. So he could come back for another year. And I thought there's a chance. Um, I, I It looks like with him walking, I'd say probably lean towards him not coming back. Maybe he's just going to move on. But again, he could change his mind. We'll see there. It's not unprecedented. Arian Smith, the same thing. Arian is really frustrated right now with his role in the team. When Ladd came back, he really kind of fell out of the rotation and he's had some some drops and is um just not really performed well which I hate to see because I know the guy the coaches love him team loves him he's a great kid he works really really hard he's dealt with a lot of injuries in his career it's kind of stunning his development but so right now he's maybe feeling some of that frustration maybe with the passage of time a little bit more perspective besides you know what No, I'm gonna come back give him the shot so those guys could all come back now will they I don't I would say again I lean towards Rosemary Jackson probably going Arian probably going he might transfer out but I definitely think Ra Ra and Lovett are coming back. I feel pretty strongly about that. And based off what I've heard, like nobody knows, even the coach don't know definitively right now. They have they have these conversations, but I mean, it's always a, a, a moving target and guys can change their minds. But I've gotten pretty good feedback on them coming back for next year, which I think is really, really positive, especially if we get Carson Beck back. I mean, woo! okay, let's go. But don't forget about the transfer portal, guys. Just like we hit the, at the receiver position, the transfer portal last year, we absolutely are going to be actively involved in the transfer portal when comes to that position probably the defensive line the interior defensive line as well so i think the transfer portal will be good to us once again this year but yeah i think you're you're on something there i think that ra rah and love it could, could be coming back next year i think nil like you said will be good for him jonathan all right next up this was probably the most popular topic of all the questions that we got and we got i don't know man 10 15 questions about this one topic and if you watched the game, you know that C.J. Allen had a monster game. Maybe the birth of a new star at inside linebacker for the University of Georgia played big time in the absence of Pop Dumas Johnson. I told you guys, I was very straightforward. I felt like that was a concern for me, coming to that game. I, I believe in C.J. Allen, and I believe in Raylan Wilson and their, and their talent and their ability. But when you play a team that does a lot of misdirection like Ole Miss does, that can be a challenge for young linebackers. And I, and I saw... C.J. Allen fall victim to that against Auburn in week five. I was pulling my freaking hair out, man. Like that long touchdown run or that long, what's the touchdown run? I can't remember now, but the long run, 60 plus yard run that Peyton Thorne had early in that game in the first quarter, that was like C.J.'s eyes were in the wrong spot. They were in the wrong spot. And that's, he's a young guy, you get it, but like Ole Miss, I felt tried to take advantage of that and they did and they had some, some success early on, but we really were able to adjust and then after the, the first couple of drives, C.J. Allen was an absolute monster the rest of the game. So, understandably so, we have quite a few questions in that direction. So Darren asked, what was your analysis of the freshman middle linebacker subbing for pop? Is the future as high as I think? Number 33, aka CJ Allen, was everywhere after a couple of early mistakes. And you're right, Darren, it's kind of what I was alluding to there. My analysis is that they need to settle in a little bit early in that game. Ole Miss was able to take advantage of their eyes at times early on, but we made some adjustments. Those guys settled in, and they played at an extraordinarily high level. There were some busts. There was uh, the, uh, what was it? I want to say it was the first drive. We had them third third and 15, third and 16, and they dumped one off a little check down to Quinshot Judkins, and he ran it about 15 yards. It was fourth and one. That was in my opinion. That was Raylan Wilson blowing that coverage based off what I've gone back and watched. And it's tough to say for sure, guys. I take that with a grain of salt. If you don't know the calls, which I don't because I'm not in our meeting rooms, it's tough to say who had responsibility, but knowing football the way that I do and the coverage that we were running... From my read, that was a Raylan Wilson thing. So there were some busts, but they did a lot of really good things. Far more good than bad for those inside linebackers coming out of that game. And you saw their talent, the physical ability on full display, which is what I have been salivating over and talking about all season long. I've told you guys since basically week one that both of those guys, CJ Allen and Raylan Wilson, are physically superior to Pop Dumas Johnson in essentially every single way. It was just a matter of them getting up to speed, getting experience, and learning what to do, and earning the coach's trust, and they're starting to do that more and more. CJ's played all year long, I think like basically every single game, some more than others. He's been in the rotation from week one, really and Raylan dealt with an injury early on, which kind of set him back a little bit. He missed about a month and a half of time, but he has really started to come along, which is going to take us to our next question, also dealing with the freshman inside linebackers. Rich, I think this is a first-time question for Rich, too, so thank you, Rich. Appreciate you being here, man. Rich asks, CJ Allen versus Raylan Wilson going forward. Who are you taking? fan? Fantastic question. I know right now the consensus among the Bulldog faithful would almost certainly be C.J. Allen because he was the one that led the team in tackles. I mean, you're right. Like Darren said, was everywhere early in that game, early and often throughout the entire game. But if I'm projecting forward, in my opinion, I think Raylan Wilson has a higher ceiling because I think that he is a higher level athlete. Now, he's not quite as big as C.J., but I think Think in the modern day of college football and really football at all levels with how offenses try to attack you and spread the field, I would put more of a premium, like most coaches do. I would put more of a premium on athleticism. And CJ is a great athlete. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to sell him short. He's a really good athlete. He's a better athlete than Pop is. But Raylan is a different kind of athlete. He just needs to get caught up, get more up to speed, and missing that time certainly set him back. If he was healthy the entire season, I think we might be talking about Raylan Wilson right now the way that we're talking about CJ Allen, maybe even more so. I would kind of go back and compare it a little bit to Quay Walker. Guys remember Quay Walker when he first got here? It was Channing Tindall. Let's not forget, Channing Tindall as a freshman was the one getting reps in our rotation and playing ahead of Quay Walker. Quay was not playing early in his career. And I told you guys back then, and this was years ago now, this podcast has been around for almost a decade. Hard to believe, it. we've been here for a while. I told y'all back then that Quay Walker, when it was all said and done, that dude was going to be a better player than, than Channing Tindall. He's going to be a higher NFL draft pick because he had the physical profile. And Channing was, was we know how fast Channing was, but the overall athleticism, he didn't have it like Quay Walker, especially at the, like the size, speed, athleticism combination. And that's why also coming into 2021 season, I felt very strong in the pre-seasons. and I was getting some grief from this from people in the fan base saying you're crazy. I said straight up, I thought that Quay Walker wasn't going to draft the head of N'Kobe Dean coming into 2021 because he's a better overall athlete. And that's not a shot at N'Kobe. N'Kobe was an awesome player for us. and He's now an awesome player in the NFL starting for the Eagles. They're both starters. They're both great football players, but... Quay got drafted in the first round while N'Kobe dropped to the later rounds because of his athleticism. And that's where I think Raylan Wilson is going to be better than CJ Allen. CJ is a smart guy. He understands the system. He gets football. He's instinctive. He's stronger, bigger right now, is better downhill right now. But give Raylan Wilson a couple of years with that athleticism, I think that dude's a first round draft pick. And CJ might well be too. He might very, very, very well be a first round draft pick himself. But I think Raylan Wilson is the guy I would go with right now, based off of how offenses have evolved over the years and how they try to try to attack space. And his athleticism is a better fit for that. And maybe I'll be wrong this time. If I am, you guys can come back here in a couple of years and point your finger and laugh at me, and and I'll take it. It'll be all good. All right, let's move on a little bit more here, guys. Got a question from Jake. How does that Missouri win stack up on a resume? I see them easily going ten and two. How do they stack up against Bama? I think Auburn is looking strong and could give Bama problems in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, man, uh, Missouri's what I told you guys. They were, I, I mean, after we beat them, everyone's like, oh my God, like, why did Georgia struggle with Missouri? It's Missouri. That's a freaking good football team. They're gonna beat 10 and two. I, I felt like they're gonna beat Tennessee. And what they do, they beat Tennessee. I actually thought it would be a little bit closer than that, but they beat the holy crap out of Tennessee, 36-7. And that team is going to be 10 and 2. They're going to beat Florida this week. They're going to beat Arkansas, who has died. Arkansas is officially dead. They're going to be 10 and 2. That is a really, really good football team. In fact, that it's the third or fourth best team in the league right now. I think you got Georgia. I think you got Alabama. I think Missouri would give Alabama a run for the money though. I, I think Alabama overall will probably just outclass them from a talent perspective. Over the course of four quarters, but I think it'd be a tight game like it would like it was with us. I, I do believe that. And then three or four, Missouri Ole Miss on a given day, they could beat each other. I think they're they're pretty comparable there. But that is a really good football team that I believe will be ten and two. I think that's certainly gonna help our resume as we get closer and closer to the final college football playoff rankings. Auburn I don't I don't know if they're looking strong. Arkansas is dead. I mean, yes, they beat Arkansas. And they beat the crap out of Arkansas on the road. I didn't think that was going to happen. I bet on Arkansas. and That's when I got wrong. You get something wrong, I got that one wrong. I'll own that one. But that's an Arkansas team that has one win in conference. One win. That, that's who Arkansas is. They're absolutely dreadful. One of the worst preseason bets I've ever made in my life. They're just absolutely terrible. I mean, some of the games Arkansas should have won early in the year, but they blew them and didn't win them, and it is what it is. So Arkansas, bad. how much credit do you get for that? Yeah, they beat Vanderbilt. They beat Vanderbilt 31-15. I mean, they outgained them 424 to 266. Here's what I say. I will say that Auburn's getting better. They have become a more competent passing offense. They still don't throw the ball well, but they had that streak of six consecutive games against Power 5 opponents where they threw for under 100 yards. They broke that against LSU, and they threw for 154. The next week, they threw for 122 against Ole Miss. And hey, Mississippi State, 230, baby. 194 against Vandy, 163 against Arkansas. Still, they still don't throw the ball well, but what they've done is they've settled on a quarterback. Early in the year, it was, a, it was musical chairs at quarterback from drive to drive, within drives, from play to play between Peyton Thorne and Robbie Asher. Now it's Peyton Thorne. Asher's not really playing much at all, so they've gotten more stability at quarterback. They're running the football a little bit more. They've or they're running the football better. They've always run the football a lot, but they're running the football better. I think they've kind of figured out who they are offensively and what they do best, and they're kind of leaning fully into that defensively. They've been solid all year. They haven't been elite at any point. They really haven't performed well against the better teams they face because they're not an elite team, but against teams like Vanderbilt and Arkansas and Mississippi State, they hold those teams in check. I mean, they gave up, what, 255 to Arkansas, 266 to Vandy, 345 to Mississippi State it's a good, solid Auburn defense, so yeah, they are improved from where they were early in the year, but I, I still don't think they're an especially good football team, now, that doesn't mean they can't give Alabama a hard time, though, because we know when Alabama plays in Jordan-Hare Stadium, crazy things happen, the Tigers never really come close to beating them in Tuscaloosa, but at Auburn, on the Plains, man, things get wild, and there are plenty of cases where bad Auburn teams give really good Alabama teams, like national and championship good Alabama teams, a run for the money, like they did a couple years ago in 2021, and that crazy game, so Auburn's capable of giving Bama a a tough time, especially with the Bama offense, which is improving, by the way. We'll talk about that a little bit later on with one of our questions. The Bama offense is getting better, it's becoming more proficient. It's still not an offense that I think can go out there and just put up a lot of points on anybody they play. I don't see them in that regard. I don't think that Jalen Milroy, while he has improved, I don't see him as an elite quarterback, at least in terms of throwing the football. So when your offense is not as prolific as it has been in years past, it opens up a little bit more of a window for Auburn to give you some trouble because they don't have to play catch-up as much as they maybe did when Bryce Young was the quarterback or when Tuatunga-Vailoa was the quarterback. So So yeah, I do get your point, Jake. Auburn is getting better. They are improving. And while Alabama absolutely should win that game in a couple of weeks, it's at Auburn, and crazy things happen on the plains when it comes to that rivalry. Okay, let's move it along here. Our next question comes from Patrick. I appreciate it, man. Patrick asked... I thought that both Nazir Stackhouse and Tramel Walthauer were as disruptive as we've seen them on early downs. Are these guys taking the next step, or was this more a product of Ole Miss in their musical chairs at the offensive line positions? Yeah, great question, Patrick. I think that Nazir Stackhouse has certainly taken some positive strides in the right direction over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to be straight up with you guys, and I've said as much earlier in the season. I don't think Nazir Stackhouse, to open the season, was playing really even close to the level that he was playing at for most of last year for us, and I don't exactly know why that is, because when you it's kind of the offensive line. When you see a guy perform at this level for basically an entire season, and the next season, you expect him to at least perform at that same level, if not take another step in year two as a starter, and all of a sudden he isn't playing like he did a year ago, you have to wonder, what is going on? And it's hard to pinpoint it could be that maybe you're not as hungry as you were the year before when it was your first year as a starter and you were trying to prove yourself. Maybe you come in this season, you get some All-SEC preseason love, and you're not approaching each day and each game with as much intensity and as much urgency as you did to get to the point where you were the guy that was getting this preseason All-SEC first team love coming into the season. I don't know that's just me speculating and throwing some stuff out there I don't really know Kirby talked about how he challenged Nazir over the past couple of weeks to kind of get back to being more the guy that he was last year so it seems like maybe it's not just me who was seeing that his own head coach was saying very similar things so I had to think there's something to that but here's what has me excited Nazir Stackhouse has gotten the message if he needed to get the message if that was indeed what's going on but whatever whatever the reason is he's playing much more like the Nazir Stackhouse that we saw last season who was one of the more underrated players, not just on our team, but I think in the entire SEC last year. He doesn't dominate games the way that Jordan Davis did. He's not going to. He doesn't have that type of size, strength, athleticism combination. He doesn't have that physical profile. But for what he does have and the size he does bring to the table, he was really good for us anchoring in the middle of our defense, which is a huge part of what we do schematically. We need that guy in the middle of the defense to eat up space, to take up double teams, so you can free up our linebackers to run around and make plays. That's kind of what we do defensively, right? And while he clearly wasn't Jordan Davis a year ago, he was a more than adequate replacement for Jordan last year. To open the season, I think one of the issues that we had against the run in some of those early games was that Nas was getting moved far too often. I'm just going to be real with you guys. He was getting moved. Go back and watch the tape. I I saw it all through the first half or so of the season. He was getting moved, and that wasn't really happening last year. I think it was more of a conditioning thing because it got worse and worse as games went on. I think he got worn down, and when he's exhausted like that, that size, you just get easier to move, and I think we were seeing some of that. It seems like now that he's gotten into some better shape. Kirby even talked about himself, saying that Nas has stayed late after practice, doing some conditioning stuff, and you're seeing this guy be able to sustain for a more prolonged period of time and play more into games, play deeper into games, and be effective deeper into games. So I do think it's, it's a function of that, and we're getting back to seeing what we saw from Nas last year. Tramell Walthauer is a guy that I feel like has been a really strong run defender for us for a couple of years. Now, he doesn't really give us much as a pass rusher. That's not his game. He's not a great athlete, but he has enough athleticism along with his strength at the point of attack and the size that he has in that position to be a really strong run defender for us. And he, I mean, let's not forget, as good as Michael Williams was for us as a freshman last year, it was Tramell who started the back half of last season, about the last half of the games last year, he was the starter at that five-tech defensive end spot. And Michael obviously rotated in liberally and certainly was more of a factor in passing situations, but in early standard downs, Tremel was that guy because he was a superior run defender. Mike Hill has improved in that regard as a run defender, so that has eaten into Tramiel's snaps, and now with the emergence of Tyrion Ingram Dawkins coming back from injury, that's eaten into Tremel's snaps even more, but we have a three-man rotation there. They can all give us different things, and we can mix and match and utilize them differently based on the game plan each week and who we're playing, what the opponent likes to do, and Tramiel was a better fit in a lot of cases for what Ole Miss likes to do because they like to run the football. You guys saw that. They want to run the football. That's what they do. Jackson Dart can throw the ball pretty well off play action. He's not a drop back passer. They want to run the ball. Quinshaw Juckins, the re- leading returning rusher from last year, hasn't been the guy this year, dealt with some injuries, but come into our game for a month plus, that guy has been really good. He's been the Quinshot Juckins of old. So we needed a guy that was going to be more of a force in the run game against Ole Miss at that five tech spot. And we rotate all those guys in there. TID played a lot. Michael played a lot. But Tremel got some more run than he has in recent weeks. And I thought he played really well. I think you're exactly right, Patrick. I think that is partly a product of just what Ole Miss does offensively and him being more of a fit for that. And also, Ole Miss you know, they, their right tackle, starting right tackle, missed that game, he went down with an injury in the middle of the week, and that was, that was an issue for them, they had to do some musical chairs, you're right, had to move some guys around, and that certainly did not help them, but we're just better than them up front in general, and Tremel being the fit for, for what they like to do, had a really good game, and it was encouraging to see that, and I think when we play teams that want to run the football at you, he's going to be a factor, I think this against Tennessee, because because as much as people have this conception of Tennessee as this downfield vertical passing team, which they do like to take shots down the field, they are still a run-heavy team. They ran the ball more than we did last year. I, I told you guys that during the season, and I think your average college fan would have scoffed at that and said, yeah, right. No, that's just reality. Those are what the numbers say. Tennessee runs the football. They want to get guys in the box, and they want to set up play action vertical shots off of that. Now, do they, at the end of the day, want to hit those vertical shots down the field and hit explosive plays? Yes, that's what they want to do. But how do they set that up? They run the ball, and they run the ball, and they run the ball some more. So I think a guy like Trumel Walthauer might see some increased snaps again this week against Tennessee based off what Tennessee likes to do as the team right now that is leading the SEC in rushing coming into this game. right next question let's go to a question from carter carter asks, has arian smith slid down the depth chart he has not had a reception since september you are correct carter it has been a minute it has been a month and a half or so since arian smith has hauled in a pass and there's a couple reasons for that we have to go back and remember at the beginning of the season arian was playing a lot of snaps why was arian playing a lot of snaps because Ladd McConkey was not healthy and was not on the field. He was basically filling in for Ladd. And once Ladd returned to the field and has certainly gotten healthier and healthier with each passing week, that has naturally eaten into Arian Smith's snaps. And when he has gotten opportunities on the field and has some plays dialed up for him to be the guy to make some explosive plays, he has not delivered. And he's had some drops. And not drops on like 5 or 10 yard little passes. We're talking about explosive play opportunities where the ball was put right there and you got to make the play. And he has not made those plays. And it's really unfortunate for Arian because, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I have always been told from people I trust on the program that Arian is just one of those good dudes, that you, you want to pull for the guy, you root for the guy. He works incredibly hard. He's overcome a lot of adversity with injuries in his career. He's a great teammate. Teammates love him. Coaches love him. Everybody loves Arian Smith. And it sucks when a guy like that does not have the commiserate success that you would like to see him have on the field of play. Especially when it's a guy that does have so much natural ability, at least in terms of his athleticism and his just ridiculous straight line speed. And we're talking legitimate track speed type stuff. We're talking 10-1, 10, 1, 10 meter type stuff. Has an argument to be one of the fastest players in all of college football, but that doesn't matter. If you can't catch the ball when it's put there on the money for you, when you have opportunities. And it's, again, it's tough when you don't have many opportunities. When your opportunities are limited, you've got to maximize them. That's how you earn more snaps. And unfortunately, Arian has just not been able to do that. It breaks my heart, honestly, when I see him drop these passes. I'm not even like mad. I'm really not. And normally I would be with a guy who's got such an easy opportunity to make a big play. I, I'm not mad. I, I'm just I'm sad for Arian. It kind of breaks my heart because I really, really, really want this guy to do well and he has delivered some big plays for us. I mean, that play in in the Peach Bowl against Ohio State, I, I will never forget that play. I mean, that got us right back in that game. That was a massive play. And if Arian could do that on a little bit more of a consistent basis, then he would earn more playing time. Unfortunately, he just hasn't got a lot of opportunities. And when he's gotten those opportunities, it just hasn't worked out for him. Now, I'm not giving up on Arian. I, I hope that this guy keeps his head up and I the body language hasn't looked great on the sidelines, and I get it, I, and I'm not mad at the guy. I understand. It's been a really tough season for him. He's fought really hard to come back from injury and overcome adversity, and it just hasn't panned out for him throughout his career, and that's just something I really hate to see. I'm still rooting for the guy, and you know what? There might be a point in this season where we still need Arian, so I'm still rooting for him. I hope everyone out there is still rooting for him. I'm sure you guys are, because I think there's going to be a, a, an opportunity for Arian somewhere down the line here in the next couple of weeks to make an impactful play for us, and I hope that he uh, gets those chances. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here. I wanna remind you about our good friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, it's crazy to think this, but Thanksgiving is just around the corner. And if Thanksgiving is just around the corner, you know what that means. That means Black Friday is just around the corner. And if Black Friday is just around the corner, that also means that Christmas, the holiday season is just around the corner. You get what I'm saying here. And I know that all of you, as diehard Georgia fans, probably have a lot of diehard Georgia fans in your life. So do them all a favor, get them the best Christmas bread you can possibly get by finding them something with a G on it, something with a Georgia logo on it, and there's no better place to do that than at Alumni Hall. They have the best selection of any kind of Georgia gear you're looking for, whatever style, whatever brand, trust me, they've got it, they've got stuff that nobody else has. And again, as a fine connoisseur of all things Georgia gear, Trust me when I say that. And be watching closely, guys. Make sure you're following them on social media, at Alumni Hall on Twitter, because they have a ton of deals this time of year where they're offering promos all the time. This past week, for example, they had a 24-hour Veterans Day deal that I tweeted out for you guys. I hope some people are able to take advantage of that. But just go ahead and follow them on your own so you can take advantage of all those deals as soon as they put that stuff out there. But Alumni Hall, it's a no-brainer, guys, for yourself, for all the Georgia fans in your life, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. Okay, guys, we've got some more questions to get to. Actually, quite a few more. So again, I'm trying to go as fast as I can with these, get through as many as I can. Stacy has a question, and I think it's a fair question, and it's also a question that Stacy was not alone in asking. Several people asked very similar questions. So, Stacy asked, What are your thoughts on Kirby's clock management at the end of the half for the past few games? I know that there are a couple different ways to look at this, and I know there are some people who are frustrated with how we've handled those two minute drills the last two weeks. We touched on this a little bit last week with the Missouri game. I don't really have an issue with how Kirby approached that. I understand why you might be critical of him for not calling a timeout in that situation, but. I look at it from the perspective, this is how Kirby was looking at it, you do not want to give Missouri an opportunity to have any time on the clock left for them to go down the field and put some points up right before the half. So if you aren't going to be able to convert in your two-minute drill opportunities, you want to make sure there's not much time left on the clock for Missouri to have an opportunity to capitalize on their last-second drive. Now, would I have liked to have seen us maybe operate a little more of a sense of urgency? Yes, I would have. I don't have a problem with them not calling a timeout there. I really don't. Because again, I understand what the thought process was there, not trying to make sure that Missouri didn't have enough time to really put it together a drive to, to get any points. But again, I do think that we could have operated with a little bit more of a sense of urgency. And Kirby's right. If you If we would have executed it wouldn't have been an issue. I think it was more of an execution issue than a play calling issue because if you call a timeout there, what does that do? We, we didn't execute anyway. We wouldn't have gotten the first down anyway. So if we would have called the timeout, then you punt the ball to Missouri and now they do have time to go down there and try to put some points on the ball right before half and take that momentum going into the half. So I don't really have an issue with how that was handled against Missouri. I really don't. That's exactly what I would have done. Now the Ole Miss game... On Saturday, I think that's a little bit of a different story. I will be a little critical here of how Kirby handled that situation because it was at a different point in the field. We picked the ball off, Javon Boyer's interception, with exactly one minute left in the half, and we've got the ball at the Ole Miss 45-yard line. So to me, with a minute left, 45-yard line of Ole Miss there, they're not going to get really, unless we turn the ball over, they're really not going to get an opportunity to put any points on the board regardless. Even if we don't convert there, And we only have about 15 yards in field goal range anyway. But even if we don't convert, we're going to punt the ball and pin them deep. And by the time they get the ball back that deep in their own territory, they're not going to be able to put any sort of drive together that's going to be able to result in points before the half. They're just not going to. So when Dominic Lovett catches the ball on that screen pass, and I think there was like 38, 39 seconds left when he comes up, I would call a timeout right there. Because at that point, it would have been 3rd and 10 at the Ole Miss 45, with about, what, 36, 37 seconds left by the time he gets the ref's attention and they grant him the timeout. So then on the subsequent third and 10 play, instead of snapping the ball at 17 seconds left in half, which is when we snapped it, you're snapping it at about 37 seconds. And we did convert there. We hit Dominic Lovett again. He converts the first down and he goes down with 12 seconds left. So again, if you call that timeout, give yourself another 20 seconds, you get about 32 seconds left, and now you've got first and 10 at the old Miss about 30-yard line. And now ultimately, Carson Beck threw that interception. So maybe it would have been a moot point anyway, but here's what I would throw out there. Maybe Carson does not decide to force the ball into that tight window the way that he did if there was more time on the clock. Because I feel like Carson at that point... 12 seconds left. We're at the fringe of field goal range. He's trying to make a play, trying to force the ball into a tight window. I still think it was a really good throw. It just happened to get tipped and bounced up into the defender's arms. But maybe he doesn't have to make that tight throw into that very tight window, and we do have a chance to give ourselves a field goal opportunity at least before the half is over. So I will be critical of the decision against Ole Miss and how that was handled because I think it was a little bit of a different scenario than where we were against Missouri. Against Missouri, we were in our own territory. And if we would have been stopped, had to punt the football, and they got the ball back with some decent amount of time on the clock, they could come down and gotten some points. We did not want to let that happen. Plus, the game was much tighter against Missouri at the half than it was against Ole Miss. So that's just my two cents. I think the Missouri call, I'm, I'm good with. I actually agree with it. The Ole Miss situation, I think, is a little bit different, and uh, I, I think I would have, I know I would have called a timeout after Lovett caught that screen pass with about 39, 38 seconds left in the half. All right. Next question. Let's go to one from Sage. Sage asks, "Why do our DBs seem like a liability, and are we causing turnovers like we used to?" Well, Let's hit the first part of that question first. Are our DBs a liability? I don't think so. I don't feel that way. I think we're really good at safety with Malachi and Javon. I think that Kamari Laster is as good of a cornerback as there is in the entire SEC. Now. Obviously, with Dalen Everett being a first-year starter, there have been some bumps in the road, but he has been largely good. I think he's improved each and every week. That's kind of what you expect from a first-year starter. I mean, Kamari, as good as he was last year, wasn't great right away. He got better as the season progressed as a first-year starter, and you're seeing the same from Dalen Everett. Now, I do think it's really unfortunate that Julian Humphrey has gone down with an injury. I know Kirby hasn't Been direct with what it is. I've been told it's a clavicle issue, a a broken clavicle. That's what I've been told. I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but that's kind of what I've gotten behind the scenes. I had that actually on pretty good authority. So I'm going to go with that until I hear otherwise. I really thought he was coming along and splitting time with Dalen there. And I think I thought we had two really good young options there opposite Kamari last year. I think that they've been good, honestly. Largely, they've been good. There have been some, some moments where they're not making plays on balls, particularly Daylon Everett. But overall, I think our secondary has been really good. Tyke Smith, I think, has been awesome for us at the star position this year. So I don't think our defensive backfield has been a liability. I mean, we lead the league in passing defense. Only give up 181 yards a game. Now, can you sit there and poke some holes in that and say, well, we haven't really played many teams that can throw the ball well? Sure, that's true but you still have to go out there and stop it. There are a lot of other teams in the league that have played Kentucky and have played Vanderbilt and have played Auburn, and they don't have the overall pass defense numbers that we do. So again, I think our DBs have largely been very good. I've been very pleased with them for the most part. Now, there have been isolated cases where I've had some frustrations at times, but I think in the grand scheme, the overall picture of what we've seen this year, I think they've been largely very good. Now, the turnovers, I would also say I don't think that we've had issues creating turnovers, at least not any more so than what we've seen in recent years. I mean, last year, we had 19 turnovers forced in 15 games. This year, through 10 games, we forced 13. So we're actually on pace to force slightly more than we forced last year. In 2021, we forced 21 turnovers, so we're on pace to force slightly less than we did in 2021, but slightly more than we did a year ago, so I think we're right on target, right on pace with where we've been the past couple years during these national and championship runs. Now, would I like to see us force even more turnovers? Of course, always, but I think we've been pretty good there. In fact, we lead the league in interceptions. We have 12 picks on the year. Now, we've only gained one fumble but I would say fumbles are more of a function of luck than interceptions are. I mean, sure, you can force fumbles with sacks, strip sacks, those kind of things, and ripping balls out. But a lot of times, that's just luck. It's just dumb, sheer luck. Whereas interceptions, sure, you can luck into an interception here, there on a tip ball. But more often than not, you're having to force those. So I take more encouragement from the fact that we lead the league and interceptions with 12. I think that's really encouraging. All right, we've got another question from Jake. I can't remember. I write down all these questions on the names. I can't remember if this is the same Jake or a different Jake, because I know there's a couple different Jakes that send in questions. So whoever J- this Jake is, whatever Jake we're talking about, thank you for the question. Always appreciate it and Jake asked a question looking ahead to the matchup this weekend against Tennessee. I know we're all excited about that big win over Ole Miss, but we have another huge test ahead of us this week against Tennessee. We'll break that down more on the preview episode tomorrow, but Jake asked, apart from the crowd, what is your biggest concern against Tennessee for Georgia? It has to be stopping the run. This Tennessee football team is very good at running the football. They're efficient and they're explosive. They lead the league in rushing right now. And it's not just one guy. They have multiple guys that can hurt you, even their quarterback, even old Joe Milton gets involved in the run game. Maybe not the same way that you saw from Hinton Hooker the past couple of years, but he does get involved in the run game. He's a very good athlete. But I say the run game for this reason. In order to stop the Tennessee offense, you first and foremost have to stop the run. More specifically, you have to be able to stop the run with even numbers in the box. We have been able to do that the past two years which is why Josh Heupel's offense, while it's been high flying and putting up all these points on everybody else, they've had a lot of issues putting up points on us and why he hasn't been able to beat us yet to this point, because we have been so dominant in our front six, they have not been able to match up, and we have been able to control line of scrimmage and stop their run game, relatively speaking, with the even numbers in the box. Why is that so important? It's so important because Tennessee's all about matchups. They're going to run the football when they have light boxes. When they see heavy boxes, they're going to throw the Football. It's all a numbers game for them. That's what they do. And they want to run the football and run the football and run the football to the point where you they have enough success where you have to bring guys down to the box to roll safeties down, get extra bodies in the box to stop the run game because they're gashing you with that. And when you do that, they are going to be able to have one-on-one opportunities on the outside, particularly in the slot. That is the premier position in this Tennessee offense. It was Jalen Hyde a year ago, and he ran all the way to the Blitnikoff Award last year for the nation's top receiver out of that slot position. Now, Squirrel White is the guy this year. He is not Jalen Hyatt. He is not that explosive. He's not that good, but he's still a good, dangerous player who can be an explosive playmaker for them when they get him those favorable one-on-one matchups from the slot. That's what they want to exploit. And most teams have a lot of issues stopping the run with even numbers because they can't match up on the defensive line and in their front six in general, so they have to roll guys in the box to stop the run. Or Tennessee will just run the ball right down their throat. And when they do that, Tennessee's got them exactly where they want them, and they will take those ex- explosive vertical shots down the field off play action, and they will gut you. Again, that has not been an issue for us because we've had Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and Devonte Wyatt and be Dean and Quay Walker, and we've been able to dominate them with our front six with even numbers in the box. I am concerned this year that will not be the case to the degree that it has been the past couple of years. I did, uh, you know, I was doing some of the YouTube stuff, which I haven't had a chance to get to as much during the season, doing four episodes a week. I'm trying, guys. It's just, it's tough. I'll get started on it, and then halfway through it, just run out of time, and it's the end of the week, and boom, now it's all wasted time. So I haven't had as so much time. I'm going to try to get more to it as we get into uh, the postseason, and certainly in the off season, and try to work in some more time for that. But I did an episode in the in the preseason. You can go back and check it. Just look for the Glory UJ podcast on YouTube. And the the, te- the episode, I think, if I remember correctly, was titled why Georgia is kryptonite for the Tennessee offense, something like that. And my entire episode was showing you actual clips of why we have been so successful against the Tennessee offense and why it seemed like Alabama last year got absolutely torched by the Tennessee offense because Alabama last year wasn't as good against the run and they were not able to stop with even numbers. They had to roll guys in the box and they got one-on-one matches for their safeties and they just absolutely destroyed them last year. That's what Jalen Hyatt did. I mean, like 250 yards receiving in that game, something crazy. I am concerned this year without that dominant force on the interior of our defensive line, that we are not going to be able to control their ground game with even numbers the way that we have in years past. I still think that we will be better against the run than anyone that they have faced this year because we are the best run defense that they have faced but we're not as good against the runs we have in years past. We're just not. We're getting about 25, 30 yards a game more against the run than we have the past couple of years, these national championship seasons. Still really, really good relative to the rest of the country, but not relative to our standard. So if Tennessee can have more success run the football and we're forced to bring guys down the box, which we typically don't have to do, but if they can force us to do that and create those one-on-one shots on the outside all of a sudden that becomes a much more troublesome game. That match becomes a lot more difficult. So that's going to be the key. Can we stop their run with even numbers? Can we continue to do that the way that we have? And I, I have some questions. I think we've been playing better in our front six. I'm encouraged by that, by what we talked about earlier. We're not stackhouse, the young linebackers. I think we're getting better. We're improving, but we're still not where we were last year. So on the road, Without the dominance up front that we've had in years past, are we going to be able to stop the run as effectively with even numbers as we have? That's my biggest question. Certainly, my biggest concern heading into this game. All right, next up we have another future matchup to look at here. All CFB. Make sure you're following All CFB on Instagram on Twitter. Great account. Our man Sam does a fantastic job with that. But All CFB asks, what are your early thoughts on the Georgia-Bama matchup now that it's official? What scares you the most? I don't know what scares me in this game and maybe this is me just being insane I am not scared of Bama in the slightest they don't scare me we are in my opinion clearly the better football team Bama has gotten better I will give them that they are improving just like we've improved the other season Bama has improved Jalen Milrow has gotten better you gotta hand the guy now early the season he was absolute train wreck a disaster He's gotten more proficient, he's seen more coverages, and he's getting better. He's still not a super proficient passer. If you have a guy running open down the field, he's got a great arm, he throws a great deep ball, he can hit that guy. But on a down-to-down basis against a team that can actually cover people, I don't think that he is the answer. I really don't. I still don't believe that he is. They run the football better than they have in years past, and that is something that we've struggled with more this year, as I just laid out. So if there is a concern, maybe it's that. Maybe it's our rush defense against their rush offense, which is much improved this year. You also factor in Jalen Milrow's legs. That's given us troubles, trouble at times this year, and they're using him more in the ground game. I thought they should have used him more early in the year, because that's the strength of his game, and they weren't using him as much as I thought they should. Coming out of the bye week, they're certainly using him more on the ground, and I think the guy's a thoroughbred out there, man. He's just He can run for days. And he's big, powerful, strong, fast, all those things. So if there is a matchup, it's probably that. But they're going to have to prove to me they can consistently beat us on the outside and that even if they do beat us on the outside, that Milrow can consistently get to the receivers enough to be able to beat us. Because even if they are able to run the football a little bit, that's a game where it's not like Tennessee. I think you can roll a guy in the box if you need to, which we don't really do all that much. But if you need to, I think you can in that game at least give it a shot and see if you can hold up in the back end. I think we have a decent shot to hold up in the back end. The receivers are fine. They're they're getting better. I mean, Burton is a good receiver. Bond is a good receiver. But neither of those guys have shown that they are elite guys. They're not in the vein of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and all those guys that used to have. They're really good, but they're not like that. So until they show me that they can beat us consistently on the outside, if we're going to sell out against the run and not sell us not the right word, if we're going to dedicate more bodies to the run, then I, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it until I see it defensively they are good they do a good job getting after the passer but we are the best team in the league in terms of protecting our quarterback and I know that Kool-Aid McKintree is a good cornerback I still have major major concerns about the Alabama safeties I think those guys they're really good in in real run fits like against the run they're good but man, they can be taken advantage of in the past game, especially Caleb Downs. You know, Mill Creek guy, I know he's a really good football player, really good athlete. That dude is not ready from a coverage standpoint right now. You can absolutely take advantage of him. You get Brock Bowers mashed up on him. You get Don McLovitt mashed up on him. I think that we can really have a lot of success in the middle of the field against those safeties. So I largely like the matchups in this game. Alabama is an incredibly talented team. We know how they recruit. There's no questioning that. But I think right now, we have a better coaching staff. I think we develop our talent better. I think we have game day coaches in terms of our offensive and defensive coordinators. I think we clearly have the better quarterback, which is the most important position on the field. And you guys know, I'll throw one more stat at you here. You know that I put a a lot of emphasis, especially this late in the season, on yardage margin. And if you look at yardage margin, right now, guys, we lead the country by a pretty solid margin, we are plus twenty, essentially plus 2150 right now. We've outgained our opponents through 10 games by a combined 2150 yards. Alabama, on the other hand, they are plus 700. Our yardage margin is three times that of Alabama's. To put that in other terms, we have outgained our opponents through 10 games by three times as many yards as Alabama has outgained their opponents. Now, you can argue that Alabama has played a tougher schedule. Yes, they played Texas in the non-conference, and that is tougher than any non-conference game that we have played to date. But you look at common opponents, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and we have beaten both those teams by much wider margins than Alabama has, both in terms of the scoreboard and yardage margin. We are the better team. We are the better team. That doesn't mean We cannot lose clearly the gap between the two teams is close enough that Alabama clearly has a chance to beat us. They absolutely can beat us. I'm not going to dismiss that. They are plenty good enough to beat us, certainly if we don't play our A game. I go back to what I said at the outside of the show with our first question. If we play our A game, I don't care what Alabama does. They aren't beating us. It's just a matter of what Georgia shows up. And typically speaking, most of the time, more often than not, the past couple years, in big games like that, you get the best version of Georgia. But plenty of time to break that game down. We'll do a lot more... SEC championship talk over the next couple of weeks but one last question for you guys so we have been obviously we're in the middle of football season we've been football heavy today but I do have one question I say for last that wants to talk about Georgia hoops man I don't know if you guys have been watching we are so much better so much better than we were last year I know it's only been three games but dude the talent has been upgraded tremendously we are operating at a more crisp level than we had than we did at any point last year. I'm loving what I'm seeing. We're still a work in progress. A lot of transfers, a lot of new guys, a lot of freshmen. But man, the talent level is so tremendously upgraded, it's not even funny. So Shinobu has a question about the Georgia basketball team. With just two games in the season, I saw good improvement from the Oregon to Wake Forest game. But will this team win more games than last year's? And then part two of the question, how can Georgia upset Miami? All right, let's take the first part of that question first. We won 16 games a year ago. I absolutely, unquestionably think this is a better Georgia team. Now the question becomes, does that translate into more victories? I think so, yes. The reason I'm somewhat hesitant and not just jumping all over that is because the schedule is more difficult. I think Mike White knew that he upgraded our roster and upgraded the talent on this team and expected this team to be better, and so he put together a much more challenging schedule. We played Oregon and Las Vegas to open the season. We didn't play Especially well to open that game. We kind of made a run there late in the first half. Then Oregon broke it back open. We ended up losing that game by 10 points. Then we had Wake Forest at home on Friday night. Hope some of you were able to make it out to that game. It was a lot of fun being there in Stagman Coliseum. Great environment. And we won that game. It's a game we lost last year in Winston Salem. We won that game against Wake Forest and we kind of let them back in it late. But that was a game that we controlled for most of the second half. And then we kind of had like a little bit of a no show game against North Carolina AT on Sunday night. But we were able to win that game. We ended up winning by 10 points. It was not a pretty game whatsoever. We were rotating guys liberally. We are still trying to figure out rotations and, and who's going to be a factor for us this year. All those things. But that was not especially pretty performance. But that was coming off the big win just two days before against Wake Forest at home. So I really like what I've seen from this team. I think we have the makings of being a team that can push to maybe be on the bubble by the end of the season. I don't think this is a team that's going to make a no-brainer NCAA tournament team. But I think that we if we win the right games... And if we continue to improve as the season progresses, which I think that we will, we're going to lose a couple more games in the non-conference with the way that we've set this schedule. It's a difficult non-conference schedule. We have Miami in the Baham- Mar Classic on Friday. And if we win that game, we're going to have either Kansas State or Providence. Or so if we lose that game, we'll have one of those two teams regardless. We're playing either Kansas State or Providence. So that, that's a tough two-game stretch there. When We have the inaugural SEC-ACC Challenge. The ACC Big Ten Challenge is done because the Big Ten's games are now on Peacock or Fox. No more... ESPN for big 10 games so now we have the ACC SEC challenge and we're playing at Florida State in that inaugural event and we have Georgia Tech at home so it's a pretty tough non-conference slate so we're gonna win a couple of those I think and we're gonna probably lose a couple of them. but I think by the time that we get to SEC play we are going to be a very very tough out I absolutely do think that we'll win more SEC games in terms of whether we win more than 16 games overall like we did last year, I think it just depends on how we fare in the non-conference and how quickly this team comes together and we kind of start gelling. We figure out roles and rotations and all those kind of things. And I think we're getting to that point. I, I'm going to go out and let me say yes. I think that we can win between 18 and 20 games this year. And in fact, I think that we can get to better than 500 in the league. I really believe that. Now, I'm not saying it's a, it's a shoe-in, done deal, but I think that we have the potential if we continue to develop and grow I think we can get to over five hundred in the SEC this year, and that's why I think we can maybe push to be on the bubble late in the season. Now, beating Miami is going to be a challenge. We know that's a a Final Four team from last year's tournament, and they have a lot of players coming back. Isaiah Wong is gone, but they got Norchad O'Meara back. they got Poplar back. They've got some dudes coming back from last year's team. That is a team that's just ahead of where we are in terms of knowing who their, their future players are, what their roles are. They've played together more than we have. It's just more of a well-oiled machine right now. So I don't really have any expectations of winning that game. To me, that's a game that's just gonna be fun to watch. And we're gonna go into that game with house money and we'll just see what happens. It's game two that I'm more concerned about, whether it's Kansas State or Providence. I think that's a game, whoever it is that we get, I think that's a game that we can win, whether it's Kansas State or whether it's Providence. Kansas State is not as good as they were last year. No Keontae Johnson, no Marquise Noel. Ed Cooley's not at Providence anymore. So I think that's a game that we can get, the second game in that Baja Mar tournament. And then the Florida State game, I know it's all on the road. I think it's a very winnable road game for us, a true road game for us. That's one that I would love to get. I think that we have a shot to get. And then Tech at home, we need to beat Tech at home. It's just as simple as that. We need to beat Georgia Tech at home. I think that we will. Right now, I would give us the edge there. But back to Shinobu's original question, what will it take to beat Miami to answer that specifically? We're going to have to play lights out. We're going to have to shoot better from the field. That's one thing that has... Been a little underwhelming as we have not shot the ball particularly well from three. Now, Jabri Abdurrahim, he's a really good three point shooter. Blue Kane can knock some shots down one of these freshmen who's been really, really good for us. I like, had some pretty high expectations for him, but he's been better than I thought that he would be. And, and not just like I knew he could shoot the ball, but his handle has been better than I thought it would be. He's playing way better defense than I thought he would. I mean, this dude is playing some impact defense for us right now. His shot selection needs to be a little bit better from three. He's got a really good stroke. It's just a matter of picking the right spots and, and taking the right kind of shots. But we really need to get RJ Sunahara back, who was the D2 player of the year last year. He's been out with an injury since the exhibition game. I'm hopeful that we'll get him back to this tournament. There's not really been any definitive word. That's a guy that can really change the, the entire dimensions of this team because he's got such versatility. He can shoot the ball from distance. He can he can post up a little bit. He's got a face-up game. He's a good shot blocker, a good rebounder. He can really, really give this team a shot in the arm. could really help us against Miami if we can get him back healthy. But to be Miami, we're going to need to knock down some perimeter shots. We're going to need Noah Thomason, who is our lead guard this year. I mean, he's going to be our top scorer. I mean, I guess technically you want to call your point guard your lead guard and that's Silas Demery right now, but he's not a true scoring guard right now. That's Noah Thomason for us. He did not play well, at least in terms of putting points on the board against Miami. He had a big 21-point outing against Wake Forest and show what he could do. Didn't play especially well in the third game on Sunday night either. We're going to need him to put up 20-plus points and be a force in that game for us and then we're going to need big Russ Chiwa, our big seven-foot center. We're going to need him to control the boards. That's one thing about Miami with Norchad play essentially playing the five for them. That dude is a really active player, but he's small. He's really undersized that position, so we have a chance there if he can control the boards. Maybe we got a shot, but it's going to be about, hey, hey, it's basketball, man. It's going to be about hitting shots, and it's going to be about clean up the boards. If we can do those things, we'll give ourselves a chance. Miami is a team that is just more advanced than we are right now. They have more returning contributors and and they should win that game. But hey, I like what I've seen so far. And if we can knock down some shots, we'll, we'll give ourselves a chance. But all right, guys, that is all I have time for today. I think we have a few more questions here. I'm just sorry, guys. I gotta get out of here. I don't have time to get to any more today. So if I did not get yours, I sincerely apologize. I gotta get out of here. I got a family thing I gotta go to. So I truly do apologize if I did not get a chance to get to your question. I got through as many as I can, but I appreciate you guys for being here with me today. Make sure to check back on Wednesday. I will have our official Georgia-Tennessee game preview, our deep dive into that game, have that up for you guys on Wednesday night. And then Charlie will be back with me to wrap things up with our week 12 picks of the week. You guys know how we roll during the season. We've got a ton of great content for you and this week is no different. So make sure to keep on coming back for more. Tell your friends, tell your family, coworkers, anyone, everyone, tell them about the Glory UJA podcast and and how we do things here on this show. But thank you guys, appreciate you. I'm Tyler, and as always, go Dogs.